and welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. I'm offering you a backstage pass to one of the UK's great orchestras and its musicians, the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In this sixth episode, we're back on video chat asking about the end product the concert. I'm joined by Laura Kitson, stage manager, bassoonist John Davis and cellist Christina Blaumanner. Welcome Laura, John and Christina. How are you? Hello. Hello. Yeah, good. Hi. Yeah, great. Thank you. Good. Of course, things have all changed compared to normal. So cast your minds back to a pre-COVID-19 times and talk me through the run up to a concert. I'm going to start with you, John. Where does it begin for you? We usually have a kind of idea of what's coming up in the months ahead or or the year, really. We have a rough year schedule. We all sit there backstage in Festival Hall, look through the schedule, and you start to kind of piece the year together. And obviously things change. I mean, like we've seen over the last six, nine months, whatever, pandemic, it changes your your schedule drastically. But yeah, you, you have these goals to work on. And I think it's at that point that you start to think, okay, well, this month, is really busy this concert is really difficult and you start to kind of piece your life and your preparation around that so if you're playing a concerto or a big solo with the orchestra for example you'll start months and months ahead as soon as you can so will you get the music for the year then you'll have everything or have things in advance no no well again it depends i mean in the lpo we play a lot of new music and it's really exciting Mm. but challenging there's such adventurous programming that you don't really I mean you can guarantee that if you have a week's worth of music you'll have played maybe sometimes half of it but often there's entire programs that that you haven't played before and I mean I'm I haven't been playing in orchestras for as long as many of the colleagues around me so a lot of the music I play is for the first time. And I can see you nodding there Christina how is it for you preparing for the programs that you have coming up? Pretty much similar as John described. Of course, you look, if not at the year's schedule, at least for the next three, four months. And I already see, I mean, there are some works that I know has a particularly difficult or challenging cello part. But the thing is, for me, I always, even, you know, the repertoire that I have done a lot, I like to get the parts always in advance because, of course, the difference maybe between the wind sections and the, and the string sections is that we all play one part. And so the parts really need to be organized for the rest of the section so to make sure that the bowings are the same and then you know maybe some old things some crazy things from some conductor we once played you know seven years ago are rubbed out and maybe the parts are made a bit cleaner and I just like to be quite organized in my parts so that nothing is bothering me and my desk partner and my section you know. Laura as a stage manager what's your preparation at that very very early part of the program? Well, before it goes to the players, we normally get a look at it first and then I go through it with the office and we'll just discuss any sort of issues that might be caused. So, for example, when we're at Festival Hall, we have to have a conversation about every programme whether we need the stage extension, depending on the strength of the orchestra and how that will fit because there's a delicate balance we have to play between the stage extension means less audience seats they have to take rows out for that so it's a thing between us and marketing being like how many things do we need to take out that sort of thing but things like tours and things like that I'll be talking to the tour manager about two years in advance drawing up stage plans because that's a lot more challenging because we don't know the venue 
a lot of my job is liaising with the conductors because each yeah. of them will have their own specific way of laying out the orchestra. For example, Sir Mark Elder really likes split strings, which means the violins on each side. Our principal conductor, Vladimir Roski, will just do lots of wonderful layouts and he's got very exciting ways of doing things. So a couple of months before each concert, I will be looking ahead and trying to draw up plans and starting those conversations with everyone that needs to be included. And Laura, actually, I'm... I'm slightly starstruck at the moment because we've been recording five of these episodes so far and everybody speaks so highly of you and all the backstage team and they've all commended you um, over and over again. Uh, So it's lovely to actually have you here and to to meet you. But can you just speak to us a little bit about your job as stage manager and what it entails? You've spoken about that preparation, but what's your job entail as a whole? I have a nice two meat stick that I walk around with and uh, make sure <laughs> that, uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a two meat stick um, <laughs> that I go around and make sure everyone's socially distanced correctly and things and go and bark at people who are not sat in the right place and ask them to move back. Oh. I mean, apart from that, so we will oversee everything. Me and my colleagues will oversee everything. So there's two people who do the personnel. They will book everyone, make sure that We've got the right players. My primary focus is the stage. So I, like I said, I'll be talking to their, uh, the conductors. I also will liaise with the library as well and make sure that there's no specific stage plans or anything that might crop up like a prepared piano. And then I've got to have that discussion about how that would work oh, wow. and things like that. And so you're also present during the performance as well. Does that continue during the performance and then obviously the clear up afterwards? Yeah, yeah. So we're the first people there. And the last people to leave and then we're there throughout as well and um waiting to jump on stage if we have to for anything as christina knows i've had to jump on stage before and scramble around on the floor and crawl around while the players still play um, during during a performance yeah yeah um we have yeah we happened to be outside and it was windy so i ended up page turning and as the players played i crawled between each player and turn their pages and peg them back and then crawl to the next player. Yeah, it was that, that was that was, that was quite a scene, actually. I, I, good that you reminded me about it, because actually that's not something you signed up for, for this <laughs> job, for sure. Because, yeah. I mean, yes, uh, Laura was on, on all four and, and trying to basically save several players' music that was flying all, almost all no. over the Mediterranean Sea, so it was quite something. <laughs> A superhero indeed. Now I know why everyone speaks so highly of you, Laura. That's brilliant. Now, Laura, you might be best to answer this, but Christina, you can tell me if this is true. Who always arrives first to the stage at call time? I can tell you straight away who's last, and I think Christina will also know who's well, last. Well, that was going to be my next but, uh... question. Let's start there. <laughs> Actually, I don't. Tell me who's last. The cellos are always last on stage. Oh, um, are you serious? Oh, yeah, always. That's why I wouldn't know that we are last. <laughs> There's no one behind you, Christina. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, is that um, because per- they're at the front of the stage, or is that just a? Uh, a personality trait that we're learning. I don't know. It's cellos and basses tend to be one of the last to sit down. It's just oh. a thing. Um, one particular cellist just tends to take his time and just like I'm talking about Francis, and he I he does like oh, yes. <laughs> Christina's <laughs> nodding yes. Yeah, just in terms of getting there first, um, the obvious people are the percussionists will be there quite yes. early, normally to make sure we've got enough space and things. 
and then the brass tends to be next really nice. because they've got to warm up so often the trombonists will be there quite early and the horn players will be there pretty early um right. and then you always get the same people early when they're not there it's really strange because it's you're a strange like, day yeah what's happening Who, where are they and it it's one of the things that like kind of calms you down if it's a stressful day like when people start to arrive when they're supposed to it's like okay yes. everything's slotting into place the earliest people tend to be on stage sometimes like an hour before the rehearsal of the concert and then it, it will gradually like people will trickle in and then yeah and then normally you'll get the the old cello who will just you'll be like come on just running in <laughs> So but, tell me, Christina, what are the cellos doing before rehearsal or before a concert? To be honest, I, I'm, I'm really surprised and I will pay, <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I will pay attention now because I never thought about cellos being uh, last because cellos are certainly not the last to arrive to the concert venue because cellos, you know, we have this side of the stage where our boxes are and when there's also a bit more space to warm up and actually often there is a big fight for finding chairs because obviously we are one of the few instruments that cannot warm up uh, standing up you need to warm up yes. so you need to have a chair I mean you know a violinists and, uh, and bassoonists and uh, flutists all of them they can they can warm up standing up we cannot we absolutely need to have a place somewhere to to sit down yeah. so so where is that place where, where well, do you go I mean, in, fest- in festival hall there is there is um, just on one on the side where normally we keep our boxes there's quite a lot of space you can find chairs but I mean obviously mm. you need to fight for this just and and that's why actually I tend to arrive quite early I'm there at least half an hour before the concert to get my chair to you know yes. put my mark on it so <laughs> no one else mix it and 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 really make sure that I'm completely warmed up I'm not somebody who can just uh, you know arrive and then in five minutes go on stage I absolutely need to properly warm up properly warm up my muscles make sure that I that my bow has enough rosin that, that my fingerboard is clean that my spike is in the right length and everything I really need that time so maybe I just yeah. don't like to do it in front of audience and that's why I don't go on stage to do that yes. also it's I mean it's kind of traditionally if you ever get people on stage it's normally someone who sits a bit further away so maybe a brass player or, or a percussionist obviously they also I mean I totally understand the percussion they need to prepare so much before mm. you know actually the concert can start. And John I mean Christina's taken us through all of the different things that she needs to do to warm up what is your warm-up ritual and where does it happen? Uh, well I think as a wind player and especially a double reed player a lot of my warm-up happens the kind of half an hour before a concert, as in I need to check my reads. I need to see if, if I'm actually able to play. <laughs> yes. Um, and actually, I find warming up backstage quite claustrophobic. I think the nature of a wind player, you need that big room to play into. I mean, actually, in, in LPO, we're quite um, strict with everyone walking on together at the same time for a concert, (laughs) which unfortunately restricts the wind players warming up on stage before, which happens in some other orchestras. But I mean, I've also gone to watch concerts and I can see wind players sitting there in their chairs playing these famous solos that you're about to hear in context later in in the concert. Yeah, and (gasps) and do you think, and it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I remember hearing an orchestra about a decade ago playing The Rite of Spring and hearing the principal bassoon playing it repeatedly. 
And I get it. I get the psychology of it. And, and I'm sure I'm probably guilty of it. But I mean, it was the only thing you could hear. And you think we're about to hear this in context. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a reassurance thing so that everyone knows you can play it. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. You're in good hands. You're in safe hands. <laughs> and do you still feel nerves or have you ever felt nerves going on stage? Yes, I do. And I suppose it's, I think the way I handled it is... um. It's different. Um, I think mm. the longer that you're in an orchestra, especially an orchestra like the LPO, when we're, we're close, it's a very close orchestra. It's like a, a giant family. Yes. It's not the same nerves. It's it's nerves in the sense that you want to do well for your colleagues around you and you just want to do justice to the music you're playing. But I think I need that level of nerves. I think it's addictive and I think I need that kind of adrenaline for a concert if I'm not yes. a little bit nervous before playing a solo something's probably wrong musically or, <laughs> or <Yeah>. with myself <laughs> and have you got any uh, examples Christina of when when you've gone to a concert and it's affected you in a good or bad way Actually, just yesterday, I remembered, I don't know how, how it happened, that I just remembered uh, something that affected me so horribly in one of the concerts, uh, but not for necessarily kind of because of nerves, but basically the situation was we were playing Verdi Requiem. It was one of the usual kind of days prior to pandemic. Then we, we had the morning rehearsal, evening concert in Festival Hall. Sure. And I remember it was Verdi Requiem. And, and in the middle between, uh, between the morning rehearsal and evening concert we also had the chamber music rehearsal oh. for for some something we were supposed to do later with some members of the LPO so and it was in a different venue so after the morning rehearsal we went to the different venue rehearsed the chamber piece and came mm. back and so probably Exhausting. had an hour before yeah. the concert so it was really exhausting and, and uh, you know, it's it's not unusual because often that kind of situation can happen in our daily schedule. But I was really, really tired and, and really needed to have some kind of fresh start, something that would kick me back <laughs> into that right energy level and I thought what would wake me up and I thought maybe taking a shower would wake <laughs> me up and so we have you know on, the, on a different floor we have um, also got a lot of dressing rooms on the fourth floor and basically what happened when I went to that dressing room the um, the lock broke the, the <laughs> door the, the, yeah it just got stuck and basically <laughs> I, I left my phone downstairs oh, no. I, knew, I knew that everyone is going to be on stage going in about <laughs> half an hour time and no one is going to be looking for me until the moment when our personal manager Andrew will walk on stage and see that the principal cello seat is empty oh and will ask goodness. where is Christina and nobody will be able to say oh I you know because it's a very very far end of the of the corridor and I just I you know it was really the worst nightmare I started you know crying and not crying but shouting with all the, the, the strengths I had in my lungs for for help and banging the oh door goodness. as much as I could hopefully there may be somebody would be still walking there for for you know, really fortunately for me, there was uh, one of the staff members that, uh, no, it wasn't a challenge. There was somebody who worked at the South Bank Centre and he heard me and he opened the door and let me out of that dressing room. Oh my goodness. But I was, at that moment, I started, of course, that kind of post-shock effect kicked in and I started shaking and then I I, I realised I have a massive, huge bruise on my arm because I was banging the door, not feeling the pain, just trying to get back. And then, of course, if, if you know 
the beginning of Verdi Requiem, it starts with this um, very quiet, pianissimo, unison, just cellos and basses. You know, it's oh, a no. very, very kind of thin, quiet line that you need absolute ultimate bow control. And not only my yes. bow I couldn't control, I was shaking entirely. <laughs> oh, <body. laughs> so it, it, it was it was really, I, I, I was scarred for life. <laughs> and has that happened before? You know, somebody that hasn't actually made it on stage and that seat is empty for the concert. We have issues that happen, like things happen to string players, like strings break or whatever, and they have to come off or whatever like that. And sometimes glasses, glasses is the biggest issue. Like, like people forget them or or they break. I would say ninety percent of what happens is glasses related. Like, yeah, like we always have people having to run off and get their glasses or like their glasses fall apart. And is a member of the orchestra allowed to just leave the stage, or do they have to signal to you or to somebody? How does that work if there's an emergency during a concert? What happens? I guess the strings have different procedures in place. Um, I think Christina Batmier, like if it happens to a front player. Would you pass your instruments forward or would you move forward? Well, I mean, it's actually the string breaking has happened to me several times, actually maybe more mm. than any other member of the cello section uh, on stage in the concert situation. Um, for some reason it happens to me. And, and we basically, um, we, we have a system that if it happens to a principal, um, you would pass your cello to one of the section members who's closer to you and take their instrument uh, while they will try to either pass it to the per- again to somebody who's closer to the door and then maybe um, kind of more discreetly walk off the stage or find a moment when to do it and change the string or we'll just continue playing on those three remaining strings or somehow just sitting there and not playing, that kind of would be the situation. I mean, I remember one episode which just absolutely blew my mind. Um, it was when it happened to a soloist, to Christian Tetzlaff, who played with us quite recently, oh, re- relatively recently, he played with us Sibelius Concerto. Mm. And in the middle of the first movement, he broke his string. And normally for soloists, I mean, in my experience, you definitely stop and you go off stage, you exchange the string, you come and then you restart the piece or you restart the movement or whatever they find um, the best solution. But in his case, he decided to go on. I mean, it was literally like a half a second, maybe, when he just grabbed our concertmaster's Peter's violin and continued in the, basically in the middle of the phrase, it broke. And continued the phrase on no. his violin that still had a mute on while he was supposed to be unmuted. Oh, and no. Peter somehow I, I I could I mean obviously I had to play as well I couldn't just watch what was happening. But uh, <laughs> so what happened basically in the first violin section somebody then exchanged that string and passed it to him. So when there was a little orchestra interlude when when the orchestra played and yes. he had a few bars of rest he could get his violin back with a new string and that all happens so oh. fast and on stage and that was that was incredible but I mean I don't I mean for cellos obviously it's a bit different because the, the string changing requires much more room and much more yeah. commotion it can be really distracting for the colleagues around for the audience and and I think that in our situation we, we just yes if it happens the front desk player stage. they would just take someone else's instrument and continue playing That's filled me with a very warm feeling. I mean, I've really loved learning about the orchestra. And as you say earlier, John, you said it is one big family and the LPO really does feel like that. You know, everyone knows each other. Everybody's Mm. sort of encouraged by each other. But that sort of almost 
Olympic relay team kind of uh, formation where, you know, you would swap through instruments. That is a really lovely feeling. And although I wouldn't want to wish it on the section, um, I think I would love to see that in action. (laughs) John, it's so different for you, though. I guess the main thing would be either a spring going on one of your keys or your reed breaking. Has that ever happened on stage during a concert? And, And how do you get over that? The amount of times my reed has fallen off during a concert. That's happened quite a lot. And actually, I can think of, I mean, luckily it wasn't a live concert in in that sense. But the first concert that we did of this season that we've been doing, our streamed season, uh, we played a piece called Con Brio by Jörg Vidman. And there's a lot of kind of sound effects that the woodwind and brass have to produce. So a lot of blowing across your instrument, panting down your instrument, slapping keys. It's it's really good fun. And you have to kind of give it a lot. I mean, in order to be audible, you have to really yes. like huff down your instrument, you know. <laughs> um, and so there was a point. So I had to take off my reed in order to slap the keys and kind of go, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> down, down the, the bassoon and you know we're, it's being videoed and there, it, there's a lot of energy in this piece so you're really going for it and I had I knew that kind of a bar later I had to play a bassoon solo so I took off the reed and put it behind my ear oh. and and then you kind of you start huffing away whilst because you're blowing without the reed on the instrument and then the next thing, I kind of felt my shoulder go up and I could just feel oh, no. the reed. Oh, and no. I was thinking, like, this is awful. And it's not the type of piece that anyone is going to want to go back 10 minutes and play again because it's so no, difficult. Um, so you kind of, I instinctively just thought, like, I'll go grab my reed. And I just hit it. I hit it like a shuttlecock. Oh, no. And it just flew, <laughs> flew to oh, our principal God. clarinet player, just rolled by his feet. <laughs> And we're kind of here in these like COVID times and it's being videoed. And all of I was course. thinking was there is a camera somewhere on this stage. Um, so I kind of had to like subtly put my bassoon down and crawl and just, yeah, pick up this reed. But I um, oh, see so you went to get it. Yes. And, and I didn't have another reed on stage with me either. So I would have been miming for the rest of the concert otherwise. Wow. Um, and do you normally, incredible. would you not no take idea. backups? Oh, yeah, normally, always. But I think as well, I think that's another kind of example of getting used to this new thing that we're doing. Because, I mean, we were told, you know, no cases on stage because it's being videoed. And usually you'll have a little pile of things. And I probably still should have. But you just think, oh, no, it's being videoed. So just clear the stage. So, yeah. And of course, it would happen when you when you you don't have a backup. Absolutely. It's just so, it's just, just so, so strange because you obviously, I mean, we are all on stage at that moment. And, and I personally had no idea that something so dramatic happened yeah. behind my back. I mean, I would, and now I, I wish I, I could rewatch it, obviously. You know, it makes it, go and stream it again now. Yeah. But you know what? It makes it even funnier at that point because even, I mean, even our principal clarinet player was so in the zone that he bet, he said, Oh, I thought that you kind of got up a little bit, but he didn't really realise I was kind of like crawling by his feet to pick up a reed. <laughs> yes, and yet your heart is beating. <laughs> oh, and are there any sort of rituals or sort of superstitions that you hold, uh, Laura, when you're on maybe on show day or on the concert day? Is there anything that, you know, you normally do just to make sure that everything is 
in its rightful place and everybody's got what they need. <laughs> and my, um, my colleagues will laugh because I've had this thing recently. I was really worried that things weren't going to go right. And the first time they did, um, I was wearing a particular outfit and a particular pair of shoes. And I was like, OK, I'm not going to change my shoes. I'm just going to keep wearing these shoes because if I wear these shoes, it'll be all right tomorrow as well. And then it went <laughs> yes. right the next day and then the next day. And, I was, and then so I kept like having to wear the same pair of trainers to work every day. Because I was like, it became a superstition and it got to a point I where my, my colleagues were like, I think you needed to just break this. Like, it's a pair <laughs> of shoes. <laughs> it's not have a big deal. I have, yeah. Yeah, I've actually managed Ooh. to circulate to I'm at three pairs of trainers now. Yeah, <laughs> Three lucky trainers. That's good. <laughs> we're all safe. We're all safe. I'm a big list writer and I will I will check everything like multiple times before the orchestra arrive and then I'm just before a performance I tend to just walk across the stage two or three times just to make sure that everything is in its right place because especially in times like this what we're having to do is so complicated that it's almost like you do it once and you're like okay it's in my brain and it but it has to be like almost like embedded almost that I know what's going to happen throughout the concert so walking it through like helps me but yeah I I must look like a crazy person sometimes just walking around just looking at chairs (laughs) Christina do you have any rituals or uh, superstitions that you hold very close to you during concerts I don't think I have superstitions, but I mean, I just, there may be some things that I don't do or that I do. I mean, for me, personally, for me to get ultimate energy, I cannot eat before concert. I have to be, you know, at least, yeah, at least three hours completely. No, I mean, it can be a banana maybe. And because there are a lot of people... Uh, in our orchestra that would go for a big meal before concert because it's kind of a dinner time around that and they they need to have the energy and they get energy if they have a proper meal i i cannot imagine sometimes looking especially when we are on tours and and you're obviously in the same dressing rooms and you you see someone eating a a very kind of big chinese with a lot of rice and you imagine i i would just i would just fall asleep immediately on the stage (laughs) if i would eat that yeah, I know. I'm intrigued to hear that you don't eat before, actually, because as a wind player, as a saxophonist, and I'm sure you're similar, John, or you might not be, to eat before playing is just like, oh, I wouldn't be able to find my lungs. But actually, I guess because it is so physical and you're so close to the cello, uh, it's really interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Uh, what about you, yeah, John? Yeah, you do, do you, you eat before? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I think I kind of, I was very much the same as Christina but I mean I really drink so much coffee I would go through this whole thing of having a kind of early lunch and not eating until after a con an evening concert and then mm. having you know two coffees in that gap in between and then just being buzzing for <laughs> for that concert and I'm, I'm and it's kind of like you, you get into a routine of it but I realized quite quickly that probably wasn't the best thing for <laughs> for Absolutely. my sanity um, <laughs> and my nerves etc Christina kind of touched upon tall eating and I think that's that's a really kind of I laugh a lot when I kind of think about our habits on tour because bananas are are kind of a must and I think in our wind section there's a few people who are very religious about we must have a banana before the concert it doesn't matter where we are um so you know you can be in Japan Madrid uh, wow. Scunthorpe. It doesn't matter where you are. You, whoever goes out in that gap, you know, you might have an hour before the concert. If you see a banana, you buy all of the bananas and you take <laughs> them back to the hall and you give them to the wind players. That and it's is just this kind of 
competition slash tradition that started with us all. <laughs> My two least favourite words when it comes to tour is um, emergency sandwich, <laughs> which oh, is something yes. as well that the oh, orchestra yes. is big. I just, I mean, I hate the word. I hate the concept. And I get it because sometimes you're getting to the airport for 6am, you've got a flight, a bus, you might go straight to the hall to rehearse and, and then you might be in the middle of nowhere and there might not be any yes. food. So people might grab, you know, a, a prep sandwich or, you know, any other available <laughs> sandwich stores. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, but it just drives me mad. It's like you've got this horrible, like, sweaty sandwich that has been in your rucksack yeah. for 12 hours on a bus <laughs> on a plane. <laughs> it drives me mad. And as soon as somebody says, should we get an emergency sandwich? I just... No, no, I'd rather no, kind of... nobody say I'd, emergency sandwich to John. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're tired, I just think, no, I, and I, I get it, you're probably not going to find your ideal pre-concert snack when on yes. tour, but but not, not a hot sandwich. Not an emergency sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure to speak to you all, Laura, Christina and John. Thank you so much for sharing all of your onstage experiences with us here on LPO Offstage. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Laura Kitson, John Davis and Christina Blaumanner for all their insights into what it's like to be an LPO player. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Just use the hashtag OffstagePod. Thanks so much for listening and do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage. Offstage.